from the heights of New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm Aaron Sims. I'm Jonathan Bell. And this is Live and Local. It's our podcast dedicated to showcasing the musicians of Upper Manhattan. We talk to them about what they do, and best of all, listen to them perform live in one of our favorite uptown local venues. Today, we are excited to welcome composer, pianist, and educator Eli Yeaman. Eli has dedicated his life to performing, teaching, and building community through jazz. He has performed and toured as a jazz ambassador for the United States in over 25 countries and at Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, the Kennedy Center, the White House, and many others. He co-founded and directs Jazz Power Initiative, a nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming lives through jazz arts education and performance. His three youth-centered musicals have been performed internationally and across the U.S., including Message from Saturn about the healing power of the blues, which was most recently presented this past July with Summerfest Jazzmobile in Marcus Garvey Park. In addition, his book, So You Want to Sing the Blues, A Guide for Performers, was published by Rowan and Littlefield in collaboration with the National Association of Teachers of Singing. Eli holds a master's in education from Lehman College and is working towards his doctorate of musical arts degree at Stony Brook State University of New York. We are thrilled to have him here as a guest today on Live and Local and are jazzed to hear him play live for you now. Ladies and gentlemen, Eli Yeaman.
Eli, that was great. Thank you so much. It's great to see you. How you been? Great, great. Thank you. You bet. Great to be here, Aaron. Uh, you, would you mind telling us what you just played for us? Sure. That was Blues for Alice by Charlie Parker, followed by a nod to Round Midnight, Round Midnight by Thelonious Monk, and uh, used that as a prelude to my own composition, Me and Lulu. Well, one thing, no one's ever going to accuse you of like not having enough fun <laughs> while you play. That's one thing that jumps out right away is sort of a um, infectious, almost like not childish, childlike mm -hmm. love for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It just emanates freely. Sure. You know, so mm -hmm. it's just great to see someone having so much fun mm -hmm. doing what they love to do. Well, you know, so as an educator, I'm sure that kind of helps get things over as well. You know. Uh, yes. Yes, it certainly does. My mentor, Walter Perkins, once told me, he said, Baby Sweets, our job is to make people feel good. That is our job. Hmm. So if we're having fun, then people listening are going to have fun. That's too. a good mission. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I picked that out of your, um, somewhere in my rabbit hole of looking at your work from way back when. I picked that, that quote out. And mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that's, that's amazing. I'm curious, when did it done on him? You, you know, I don't know, uh, but Walter, uh, the, all the years I knew him, um, just carried so much joy with him. He brought it on the bandstand. He just, it was just unrelenting. And I was even thinking this morning when, when he used to tell me, I thought of this as I woke up today. He said, baby sweets, when I get up, I say, thank you, Lord, for giving me one more day. Will you please show me how I can help somebody today? And I was just, and I thought about the same thing today. I said, because when you have that spirit, you have an unrelenting, renewable source of energy and sense of purpose. And uh, so I'm so grateful for Walter for sharing that with me. Well, it's, it's what a blessing to have had that sort of a sort of person in your life yes. to influence you and direct you. Um, one, I mean, this is always in these sessions that we have here. Uh, Aaron and I, it, it's always a small sampling that we're getting, of course, when people play for us, you know, so how to extrapolate from that is always a bit of a challenge for me. But um, it seems that you're pretty, well, among other things, you are a, um, you are much more than an appreciator, you are an executor of lots of different jazz styles. The stride thing, you're quite fluent and comfortable with that. Um, and of course, in your little condensed bio here, there may, you know, the New Orleans thing is in there. Um, my sense is just that you're, you're um, very um, versatile in terms of stylistically with jazz, which may correspond perhaps with your being an ambassador for jazz, as you describe yourself. An ambassador for jazz, one of many, not requirements, but maybe one thing that would help to be an ambassador of jazz is to have a somewhat encyclopedic comfort with the different schools of jazz. Well, it's interesting you say that, Jonathan. Thank you. 
Um, I don't really see myself as exceptionally versatile because to be honest with you, I don't play pop music really. I don't really play keyboards. I pretty much only play the piano. I heard some organ this morning made me think, man, I should learn how to play the organ, but I don't really play the organ. So I think there are people who are much more versatile than me, but maybe what you're picking up on is my interest in some of the older styles of the music. And they're varied. Right. Yes. You know, it's not just old jazz is one thing. You know, it's stride. Right. It's bebop. At this point, bebop from the 40s is old music. Like museum. Although if you yeah, compare right. it to Mozart, it's like was written yesterday. You right. Know? <laughs> right. So, so I, but that's where I live is mostly bebop, swing, blues, and stride. That's exactly yeah. what I meant yeah. by my question. Yeah. Is, um, mm -hmm. right. Uh, an ability to deliver, even perhaps speak about those different styles of the more older schools of jazz. It just comes across as authentic. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And I think that um, I was thinking that question of authenticity is very important um, when you're dealing with jazz because it comes from African-American culture and not being an African-American, how do you strive for authenticity? And what I've found um, is that when you are genuinely in love with something and you commit your whole body and soul to that thing, nobody can question your authenticity. And that's what I've found in the black musicians who raised me and taught me is they saw that love in me and they just wanted to encourage and I received so much encouragement. Mm -hmm from them um but it's all because i love the music so much i just love it's not like i say oh man i should play stride because it would be good for me i got to take my vitamins no i just love stride i think right. it's a, a wonderful way of playing the piano and i i'm surprised more people don't do it <laughs> right right well i mean to that point actually um there's a big difference of course between i mean for jazz pianists I don't count myself among that crowd. I'm an appreciator, and I, I use that language in my composing, but I don't, I don't describe myself as a jazz pianist. Okay, But I know enough to know there's a huge difference between what's required with a trio, especially in like the left hand, mm -hmm. as compared when you're doing things as a soloist and even as an accompanist with, with a singer. Um, and that whole... There's a whole years of shedding when it comes to just voicings in the left hand that work in some contexts and not in others. Mm -hmm. And so I was just wondering what your favorite, where is you, where, where is your, um, where are you happiest in terms of settings, whether it be like combos or solo? Mm. Like, well, I've got, what turns you on the most in, in that? Well, sense? I've gotten much more comfortable with solo during the pandemic. Because <laughs> You know, it's, right. it's been a, a great mother and father of solo work, right? Uh, so right. we, you know, we're improvisers, we're jazz musicians, we're entrepreneurs. We take what we have and we make the best of it. So that's what I've been doing a lot of solo. Cool. Um, I love playing with people, though, and I mm -hmm. can't wait to get back to that on a more regular basis. I'm really looking forward to that. And I have uh, a trio, I have a quartet. I've written some pieces for big band, okay. uh, but we had to record one of my pieces for big band remotely this year, but we did record it and it is out on YouTube now so people can hear it. Hmm. Yeah. Could you go um, 
maybe go a little deeper if you don't mind uh, and speaking of some of your heroes jazz heroes maybe two or three that have um, had the biggest impact on you perhaps compositionally specifically sure uh, Thelonious Monk and Duke Ellington are my top two, hands down. Okay. Um, and this past year, I got a chance to really delve into Monk's music again. Mm-hmm. It's something I've been doing over and over again since I was a teenager when I first discovered him. Mm. Um, but I find him just such an outstanding composer. Each composition has its own personality that's so distinct from the other compositions. Mm-hmm. You can hear, the, you, you know it's Monk but he's not redundant at all right. and that's very hard to do and he wrote 70 compositions or maybe 72 compositions duke ellington on the other hand wrote about 3000 compositions so it's a very different kind of legacy but his music is so full of joy and passion and um variety and the way ellington wrote for the different musicians in his band and brought their personalities out and was such a a virtuoso entrepreneur as a composer using those sounds Mm -hmm. to create new sounds Hmm. under his own name. Um, So those two are the ones that really speak to me and have guided me as a composer. Wow. Well, switching gears slightly from your your own personal work as a composer and a player to your vision work, as a managing director and artistic director of Jazz Power Initiative. I like how you said magic director. <laughs> magic director? <laughs> I thought I said managing director. But that magic. was cool. That was, was the magic? first time anybody called me that. You like should be the magic director. <laughs> I like that. Bring it on. Because you, I put this, administrators make the magic happen, right? <laughs> you know the deal. <laughs> I do. Only oh well, too well. But he is the managing director and artistic director of the Jazz Power Initiative, which seeks to transform lives through jazz arts education. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had and continue to have such an amazing career as a musician, but um, can you take us to the tipping point where you were called to create what become the Jazz Power Initiative? Sure. I mean, when I first got to New York in 1990, I started doing jam sessions uh, with older musicians, and I found a lot of frustration in the community as to the low pay of the gigs, as to the, the sweat that was involved, you know, musicians who had 20, 30 years of experience working 50, $70, $75 gigs. It's kind of ridiculous. So our society, there was a few problems there. One is the society, even New York, which birthed this music in many ways, wasn't valuing its musicians enough and was meanwhile, you know, promoting other kinds of music much more, you know, um, so I looked for lights in the community and I saw, I found Billy Taylor and I got to know him a little bit. He's the first jazz musician who founded a, a nonprofit organization. He founded not, uh, Jazz Mobile in the 1960s and they've been going ever since. Mm. I found Barry Harris, who's been teaching his workshop since the 1950s, building community through jazz education as well as, um, playing at mm. the top level. And so I saw in them heroes and guides. These were men who were not just about playing, but were about trying to help people understand the great value of this music. And they were teaching people how to do it, practitioners, but they were also affecting their greater community. Hmm. And so I, 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 pretty early in my career, I, I said, I need to do that. I need to do that. And then eventually I found my way to the Louis Armstrong Middle School in Queens, 
where I was their music director for their spring musical. And we did a bunch of musicals there each year until we did West Side Story. And when Tony got shot, the kids cheered. They cheered. And me and the director looked at each other and said, oh my God, even this musical is not really appropriate for middle school kids. Mm -hmm. You know, we thought, well, this is going to be modern themes and the kids will resonate. But it wasn't right for middle school kids. So we started writing our own musicals and we started writing jazz musicals. And we picked mm. stories that we felt would really resonate with relevance with the kids. And we premiered five jazz musicals in five years. And then we went and revisited. And we got literally thousands of children involved in jazz <laughs> through this effort at the Louis Armstrong Middle School. And somewhere in the middle of that, I realized, I mean, it was a miracle. Every time we did an original jazz musical at this school and played it for 1,800 you know, people, 1,500 student mm. body, 300 family members, had over 70 kids involved in the cast, musicians wow. and crew. I was like, every time we did it, I pinched myself. I said, is this real? You know, an original jazz musical in the Department of Education mm. School? I said, oh my God. But I knew at some point, somebody put the kibosh on it. So we founded a nonprofit organization right quick <laughs> so that when the kibosh got put, we could keep on trucking, you yes. know? <laughs> no, I, I, I do know, I do. And, uh, and I wanted to mention, um, uh, so like I said earlier, your message from Saturn is one of those. That's that right. You just had done at uh, with Jazzmobile, right? Yep. Uh, that was our first how, collaboration. How cool was that as far as like a full circle Ooh, moment for you, right? Man, it was amazing because Billy Taylor, you know, an influence. I met him when I was in high school. I got to know him. He was a mentor. He encouraged me so much. I've been talking with Robin Bell Stevens, who runs Jazzmobile for almost 10 years about what could we possibly do together and we've talked about a lot of things and bounced ideas off and finally we landed on this and then the pandemic happened and we still managed to do it it was one of the first live outdoor major events in new york city i mean we had a thousand people there we did our version of message from saturn with a fantastic professional band different members of my youth group we had ages 10 to 68 on stage Amazing. all together performing hmm. and we got a standing ovation from Jazzmobile which is like the, the hippest jazz audience in the you world know, if, if, was, if, was, if that's was, not anybody lifting the kibosh I don't know what you know, <laughs> you know what I mean it's good to have them on your side oh man I thank them so much it really meant the world to us awesome hmm. are, are any of these uh, selections from the different musicals extractable in a sense oh, yeah. for like to be played mm -hmm. in any type of content. I would, I would imagine now you have this resource of material that you can have an overview and say, you know what, I'm going to revisit that tune from that musical and maybe sure. do it like this as a solo or a trio or sure. is that possible now? Well, the main song of message from Saturn is called a healing song and it's about the healing power of the blues. The chorus is, is not just a song for me, take a breath, and you will see why the blues has the power to be a healing song. And we actually, now Message from Saturn premiered 20 years ago. It premiered June 9th, 2001. That's when we- <laughs> that right? about that? <laughs> <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> June 9th, baby. <laughs> and um, so we just did the 20th anniversary Guajira version at the United Palace. And Aaron, you, you were involved in that performance. We had yeah. the presentation from United Palace. So we recorded 
we added, I mean, that was like an amazing thing. I wanted to come up with a new arrangement. Okay. Sat down at the piano. I said, what can I do? Because I've done healing songs all over the world. All my State Department tours right. always did a healing song. So okay. absolutely. But then I came up with this Guajira. And then I come to find out that the Guajira from Cuba, that's their healing rhythm. So we put that with our blues rhythm, which right. is our healing rhythm. And we put a new version on it. So mm. that could be seen at the United Palace website and we thank the united palace for producing yeah, they did that. a great thing I'll, I'll just plug that really fast if, if, if the united palace doesn't mind and you don't mind um Not at all. eli and i are amongst other uh we'll just say groups people leaders in northern manhattan art scene were asked to be part of this uh uptown artists at the palace feature about uh artists and groups who hadn't stopped working during the pandemic and this program is uh, indicative and representative of what we did during the pandemic, and uh, we haven't stopped doing this every single week. We bring you on air. So you you listeners, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So we featured um, Lada Varela, one of our um, podcast guests from December, and she sang a wonderful aria from our podcast from, uh, I believe it was from Samson Delilah, actually, mm -hmm. the one we did from mm -hmm. that. And, uh, and Eli was on there, and so many other great people. And uh, Annette Aguilar. Annette Aguilar was on there. I don't. I don't want to name names because I, I forget all of my name of them all. But um, it was a great lineup. Speaking of jazz people, Annette, of course. And um, yeah, it's it was truly wonderful. And uh, I think these shows deserve to be to live on in whatever format. You know, you can make them applicable for the circumstance. And that's, I think, also a really great thing about jazz music, too, is that, and the blues, we'll say as well, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it's very universal to many moments in life. Mm -hmm. And you can maybe tweak it here and there, but the song still remains the same. Mm -hmm. And because uh, uh, our hearts are in joy, never leaves us, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and the circumstances we're given. So very, it's flexible music, yeah. too, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one of the things that makes jazz so suitable as a modern voice for modern living is that it can change yep. as, as our world is changing all the time. Absolutely. Speaking well, of majestic venues, I would be remiss not to ask. Well, it's not every day that a f musician friend of mine says, hey, I've got a gig this weekend at the White House. Yeah. So <laughs> do you mind regaling us a little bit with that experience oh, no, i think i think i think you're the first person to be able to claim a gig at the white house that we've had so oh, wow. I, can't, I can't help but ask about yeah, that sure well it was a huge honor uh 2009 uh i got invited to uh go to the white house with winter marsalis his father his brothers and a few other artist educators to participate in the first ever white house jazz studio hosted by first lady michelle obama and we went down there, and they were so welcoming to us. They had, I taught a workshop for 50 middle school students on the healing power of the blues in the diplomatic reception room, which is the room where the president generally greets foreign heads of state, and they take a picture by the fireside. Mm. That was the room I taught about the blues. And we went upstairs, and Michelle Obama spoke about how we need jazz in every school. And I was like, yep, agreed, you know. And then before I left, I gave one of her staff my CD, and I said, if you ever need a band, please call. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that, that was June 2009. They gave me a call in November and said, will you come and bring your band and play one of the Christmas parties? Actually, two of the Christmas parties, because the president generally has many Christmas parties for different you know, parts of his constituents or whatever. Mm -hmm. 
So we got a call to play at the press and the Secret Service two days in a row. So we went down there and we played in the East Room and right by the portrait of George Washington with his sword. Mm -hmm. And we're playing the blues and Duke Ellington and it just sounded so good in there, if I don't mind saying it. Sound mm -hmm. like that's the right music for that nice. venue. And we got to meet the president, take a photo with him. It was an amazing, and then they called us the next day and said, will you come back and play for the friends and family, President Obama? And we were like, yes. <laughs> you, know? you don't say no to the president. <laughs> you, don't say, you don't say I'm booked that day, sorry. Yeah, it was great. Let me check my calendar. Yes. <laughs> right now, absolutely. What a great story. I mean, yeah. those, those are memories, and you know, you can thank your mentors for bringing you to that moment, right? Absolutely. And, and they were so encouraging, and... Um, I had some correspondence with Michelle Obama afterwards. You know, the thing that impressed me about them, they were so, I mean, they wanted us to, they kept saying when we were there, this is your house. You know, this is your house. And I got such a sense from them that as, as extraordinary as they are, and they're extraordinary people, they're still people, you know, and they had to make a decision. Like I was saying earlier, Walter said, Lord, please help me know how to help somebody today, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what they were challenging us and helping us and firing up everybody in their path to do the same. And when we do that, you know, amazing things can happen. Well, I'm looking for one more amazing thing to happen today. <laughs> and that's another song from you, if you don't mind. <laughs> My so, pleasure. What, what, what do you have for us to lead us out? Okay, uh, this is a brand new composition. And I'm going to practice my Spanish. Parado al borde de las lagrimas. And I want to say that it's uh, standing on the edge of tears. And this was actually came from an assignment that my teacher at Stony Brook, Ray Anderson, gave me, a brilliant um, artist and educator who comes up with these really exciting assignments that make us dig. And he said, I want you to write a song that's close to tears. And so I came up standing on the edge of tears. I worked on this for like a, a month, but, and I kept changing it. It was so difficult, but I finally found my way to this and I refined it. And it's, and the way I, I don't know how it's going to come out today. Uh, we'll see because it changes every time I play it. But I feel like this is for everybody who's experienced a lot of grief, um, a lot of loss and I just want everybody to know that we can't push those feelings away and maybe art can help us all kind of process what we've all been through so that we can be strong for the future. Once again, Eli Yemen.
Eli, thank you so much. All right. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to more projects from you and more collaborations in the future, for sure. Great. Great. Um, thank you. And I want to know, what can we look forward to next on Jazz Power Initiative? Well, Jazz Power Initiative has a monthly event at the National Jazz Museum in Harlem. It's called Intergenerational Jazz Power Jam, and it happens on the second Sunday of the month. So we hope that everybody will come down, um, and you can check either the National Jazz Museum in Harlem website or jazzpower.org for details. Uh, jazzpower.org is the best way to find out about what I'm doing. I do try to update my eliyaman.com website as well, but that usually takes a little longer to get around to. But we got a lot of good things coming down the pike with Jazz Power. We'll be recruiting new students um, in the early part of next year. So anybody who has a 10 through 17 year old who might be interested in studying with us, we offer scholarships for studying voice, keyboard, dance, and you become a jazz power youth and you become transformed through this amazing music. We'd love to welcome you into this music. Uh, we're piloting um, uh, a class for adults right now as well. So I look forward to everybody just coming to jazzpower.org and checking it out. Awesome, man. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, listeners, you'll be able to find um, the link to Jazz Power's website on our, and Eli's as well, in the description of this episode. So. Stay tuned and please follow and uh, spread the word. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Eli for joining us here today on this live and local episode of In What Artworks On Air. It's where we meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in what we call upstate Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Thanks to Hudson View Gardens for hosting us and to Hidesites.com for local uptown promotional support. Be sure to follow us on Inwood Artworks to keep up with all that we do, including the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, pop-up galleries, live performances, and so much more. You can support us and all of our free programming by making a tax-free donation at InwoodArtworks.nyc backslash donate. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council, and in part by a grant from the NYC and Company Foundation with partial support from Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims. I'm Jonathan Bell. For Inwood Artworks On Air.